0: Welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. Every week, we bring you interviews with makers of all kinds from all over the world who identify as female or non-binary. This episode's guest is Nicole Crowder. Nicole Crowder Upholstery is a Black-owned furniture and upholstery studio creating commissioned, generational, one-of-a-kind pieces of furniture and home furnishings like meditation pillows, poofs, and more. Nicole's work has been commissioned by the leading hotel chains, restaurants, and spaces. She has also created bespoke pieces for private clients and has been featured in design publications including Architectural Digest, El Decor, and Martha Stewart Living. Nicole began her journey into upholstery design after spending her childhood traveling and often moving with her family. It sincerely was a great pleasure getting to chat with uh, Nicole, who is currently uh, located in the Twin Cities, so a Midwesterner like myself. And um, we got to really kind of talk some nuts and bolts about like taking your work to that next level um, and working with places such as World Market, like. Nicole does. So <clears throat> a great conversation. Before hopping into that conversation with Nicole, I want to give a big shout out. and Thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Candice at CJ Woodgrain, Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spees, <clears throat> Sammy, go Sammy Lee, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom, Bonnie, Tool Mom Laura Oakley Soap Company, Brandy Studio, Obey, Lee the Rainbow Carver, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued ongoing support. Uh, helping to produce this podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast and would like to help support it, please stick around to the end of the episode and I will tell you how to do that. And uh, let's head on into the conversation with Nicole. Um, Well, Nicole, I like to start the podcast by asking my guests to introduce themselves. Would you do that for me?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Nicole Crowder and I am a furniture designer and an upholsterer. Uh, I'm currently based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Awesome. And also, can I ask what your pronouns are? Yes, my pronouns are she and her. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So you said you're now in the Twin Cities. Does that mean you are not from the Twin Cities? So it's kind of a complicated question uh, (laughs) because I've lived here the longest
1: out of any span in my life, but um, I grew up as a military kid. And I just moved back to the Twin Cities after having lived in D.C. for about 15 years. So um, we were born in Germany and traveled all over, lived all over the U.S., um, in Germany and Japan. And then uh, I settled on the East Coast basically for uh, growing into adulthood. That's where I got my my first job and was bouncing between New York, D.C., over to the West Coast a little bit. And then in December 2020, I decided that, um, you know, as much as I love D.C., Mm -hmm. I felt kind of pulled to leave. So that's what brought me back to, to Minneapolis. So I've been here Now for almost a
0: year and a half, yeah. Okay. Um, And decided to move amidst a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, my timing, you know,
1: it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I lean into the pivot, whatever time it is. And I, like, nothing honestly was propelling me to leave DC. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Business was wonderful there. Um, I felt like I had a a foothold in terms of upholstery and Mm -hmm. clients because there were so few upholsters there. Um, But I just remember I was on my balcony around June of 2020 and maybe it was a glass of wine. I don't know. (laughs) But I was like, I feel like, you know, D.C. is is giving me so much, but I'm kind of ready for a change and and Mm -hmm. a shift. And so my thought was to move to L.A. actually. I was like, we're going to go for warmer pastures, Mm -hmm. big apartment, all that. And so many other elements kind of came together around the holidays when I moved or came back to Minnesota to visit my family. And there was really something that was just like, no, you know, Minneapolis is where you should be right now, closer to my family. I can really slow down and sort of rework or rethink how I want to work because I was just, you know, foot on gas pedal, even in the midst of a pandemic, which was mm-hmm. wild. And um, so I'm, I'm really grateful that even though I hadn't planned that shift, it's worked out so much to allow me to reframe, rework um, how I just move and operate differently and i'm i'm happy to you know get into Mm -hmm. some of the the sort of specifics of that as well how those changes have really been you know into action
0: yeah and and we definitely will um i I guess at first i want to say i don't think you're like alone i know that a Mm -hmm. large like large percentage of like people especially in the u.s have like kind of taken a step back and said like you know, what do I want to do with this? It's like a yeah. kind of great big moment of change. Um, I mean, I know. Absolutely. I know that's what ended up driving me to like applying to grad school and stuff. It was just like, I don't want to do this. Like Yes. You know, and whatever well, that this yeah. is for you
1: individually, you know, yeah. it's like whether it's the job, whether it's the, the location where you yeah. are, whether it's the way that you are working on your job, even if you do love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's been such a radical shift for people I think half of my friends have moved back to their hometowns Mm -hmm. another friend just announced he was moving back to um, New Jersey after also having lived in DC for about 15 years and I'm just I love it so much I love that intent um sort of intuition Mm -hmm. you know being like okay there's something happening
0: here internally as well as externally and I'm leaning into that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so I do want to I want to take a step back and just dig in maybe a little bit more about like kind of your your roots of like furniture and upholstery like how did you get into it
1: so I started um really uh, sort of serendipitously um, an RA of mine from college, actually, uh, at the time I was working as a freelance photographer for apartment therapy. So I was going to her home to photograph her place with her husband. And I it was like the first time that I really noticed chairs. I had seen them my whole life, of course, but hers just really like something stood out. And I was like, oh, where'd you get these? And she told me about a fantastic place in Maryland called um, Ryan's Relics. It's in Bel Air, Maryland, just like 15 miles north of Baltimore. And so I went out there and they had tons of just amazing mid-century furniture. It was two full warehouses. And I bought a few pieces, um, went to the fabric store, bought some really inexpensive fabric. And then just through like a lot of trial and error, I was taking these chairs apart, putting them back together. And I posted it on Facebook maybe a week and a half, two weeks later, and a woman Came by, and turns out she was an architect, and she was like, "Oh, do you have you know a showroom with more of these pieces?" And I was like, "Oh, this is literally my my living room right here. I don't, I I just started this." But she said she was like, "Well, you know, this is um, more than just a niche or a hobby. This is a niche. This is something right here that a lot of people across the city could really use." Mm -hmm. And the wheels just got turning for me, and I was on Craigslist at two, three o'clock in the morning every day looking up furniture. I was on YouTube, you know, going down the YouTube rabbit hole of videos, and how to, because it's all been self-taught. And, um, you know, what I've learned over the years, like every chair just requires different mechanics, different techniques, different strategy. And so I love learning that way. But uh, my first, uh, I was still working full time as a photo editor, but I just had this itch that I wanted to try something different. And so I uh, was at a farmer's market, my very first farmer's market, and I sold everything but one piece wow. that afternoon, and it just blew me away. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, we're going to go full time, full steam ahead," you know. <laughs> and I, I tell you, it was the biggest ego check of my of my life and career because there was so much I did not know. Literally, it was less than a year experience doing this. Didn't understand, you know, money management, time management. I had moved actually out of D.C. to Baltimore, about 40 miles north, because I just assumed D.C. was too expensive to live. And but I didn't have any sort of structure about me. I was commuting an hour each way every day, mm-hmm. picking up, dropping off client work, making mistakes and all of that. Um, as hard as I was working, I still was quite broke. I didn't have a dime to my name. I even went to um, McDonald's one time thinking I was gonna get, you know, some fries off the dollar menu. And when the lady said it was 212, I was like, what is this inflation? You know, I just couldn't even get $2 and 12 cents French fries. Right. And that's when I was just like, okay, you need to take several steps back and reframe and reposition. And I did. I, I called my former boss, who thankfully I still had a good relationship with. And I I asked if I could go back to work, honestly, because upholstery. broken my heart I felt like a failure I felt like I didn't plan I I I just I was leaping before I had anything kind of built and so um I was doing photo editing for a couple years after that but upholstery was always always still there like I had built a website didn't even have chairs didn't have clients it just had this feeling I had some sketches Mm -hmm. But I was like, I love doing this, you know, and there's something that feels kind of like a calling toward it. I didn't stop like um, watching videos or even working on my own chairs at home. And so um, I had taken a job with a company out west in 2016 and it was a great paying job, but I was miserable. I was just crying every day. And that's when I kind of said, you know, I want a different lifestyle. I want a different way of working. And I was like, upholstery is it. For me, that's really what I want to do in this next iteration of my life, and so I quit my job with five months after having been there. Everybody and their mom was like, What are you doing? What is happening? <laughs> you know, yep. and I couldn't, I couldn't, like, just, just like, okay, I don't need to in this iteration, <laughs> you don't need to do that when you're transitioning. And um, I moved back to DC, I got myself a one bedroom apartment, and I put my business on. Uh, uh, Craigslist, that's what it was. Craigslist, no, no, I'm sorry, it was Yelp, Yelp, Yelp Business, and I advertised that way. And it was my name at this time because the first iteration of upholstery was Third and Grace. Okay. But this time, I was like, I'm going to use my name, mm-hmm. and um, I had to, you know, stand on that and make sure that I I had the structure, that I had a vision for how I wanted to work. And it was just my one bedroom, and I converted my my dining room into my studio space, and that's where I did all of my work all my tools, supplies, everything was, was right there for two years, wow. so yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> a long way around, yeah, but I mean, there, yeah. I feel like, so when you were a photo editor, like, was that, did you go to school for photography and that kind of work? I, I didn't, no, I went
1: to school for English, my major, I was okay. a English major, and I loved history, so I studied both of those, But I took a photo internship at Essence Magazine in um, 2006, right before I graduated from um, college. And that experience really opened my eyes because I thought I wanted to be a full-time photographer, going out, you know, to different countries and photographing different things. And I was like, I love this idea of collaborating with designers and putting together a package. And you get to see, you know, how they, they work with photographers and being on sets. All that stuff just excited me. And so... Um, I decided I wanted to become a photo editor and that I did for about 10 years working with, um, I started with AARP in DC. I worked with the Washington Post overseeing like food, celebrity, fashion, travel, basically all the features. Mm -hmm. And then when I was at the Post, I was there for about two years. Um, Actually I was there for two years and then I got promoted to the features photo position and three months within that job, I got an email from a recruiter at Netflix asking me to, you know, talk to them about a position. And I thought it was spam, honestly, because yes. I was yeah. like, from, you know, Netflix is right. emailing right. me and right. my work account. So I deleted that email <laughs> and I went about my business. Right. <laughs> and then um, about a week later, they wrote back and they were like, hey, sis, just following up on our notes, you know, are you interested in talking? And I was like, oh, OK. And, you know, it, it was exciting. It sounded yeah. very cool cool and all that stuff but the photo editing part of me it was it is still such a big love of mine because I love prints I love um finding and emerging photographers Um, I just like visuals I'm a super visual person Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: that translates too to my upholstery work now in so many different ways like not just you know when framing them and photographing them or finding out the right Um, backdrop for them Mm -hmm. but even in like coming up with their designs you know it is collaborative to some degree whether it's with clients or just me in conversation with that piece of furniture of like okay what's the story that I'm trying to tell with this and what are the parts that need to come together to convey that story so I I find that correlation really fun still
0: well and I think too like like you said like I think it can give you the background of just like design like someone Mm -hmm. might not think from the outset like you know yeah photographer editor like um, (laughs) leads to design but like the places you worked with I think gave you like kind of that angle of it
1: yeah absolutely like that was where I kind of cut my teeth with design was Mm -hmm. you know asking questions or even taking some criticism you know about like okay why this photo, not that photo, or the placement of a certain photo, or even just how to convey, you know, work with the photographer to say, mm-hmm. this is the type of story we're trying to get. Here are the shots that I need, or working with editors. Like a lot of it is the communication, it's conveying your vision so that someone else understands it so that you can, you know, execute this project in a way that all parties are satisfied. And, um, a bit of it is psychology too, which I Mm -hmm. think is when working with clients, upholstery work definitely has that because some clients, they may have already envisioned how they want a piece to look in their home or their office space. But me as a designer, I'm trying to also bring a bit of um, my my talent, my eye to this project. I I hope that's why you you hire me as well because you saw something that I'm doing that you want on your furniture. Mm -hmm. And so it's me not so much trying to, Bring them to my side, but showing them, I want to make this piece an extension of you. And here are the prints and the patterns that we can use and, and sort of pair together to complement that um, if you're open to that possibility. So I I really love thinking about the, the crossover between photography and photo editing. Because, yeah, to your point, it all is design, just yeah. different titles.
0: Yep. Yep. Today's episode is sponsored by Athena Outfitters. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that sells everything badass beauties need to get the job done from work boots to basics. They curate the toughest essentials made to help you perform every piece is handpicked to seamlessly slide right into your daily lifestyle from rugged and roguish weekday wear to effortless weekend flair. You can fill your closet with gear that can do it all. So for Christmas, I ordered my wife like a very nice pair of slippers from Athena Outfitters, and she loves them. Loves them so much that she has accidentally gone to the gym and the grocery store in them because they seem to never leave her feet. So definitely a place to go check out, go get the goods that help you not only out in the shop, but just in your daily uh, work around the house and outdoors. As a listener of the podcast, you can go to Athena Outfitters website and use coupon code MM, as in M&Ms, 15 for 15% off any purchase. So again, you go to AthenaOutfitters.com and use the code MM15 and get 15% off of your purchase at checkout. Now, I mean, I know because like, I, you know, follow you on social media, like you've been kind of doing like your own line of, mm-hmm. of things. So how does that play in like with working with clients? Are you like doing more of one thing versus the other or are you kind of?
1: Yeah. And this goes back to that whole shift um, moving, you know, back to Minneapolis in the middle of, of the pandemic is I have been really wanting to step away from client work for a while. Not that I don't enjoy it. I just was taken on mm-hmm. too high of a volume and I wanted to just get my vision back out there, ideas that I had. And the past, like last year, I didn't take on a single, excuse me, a single client project. And it really gave me space to do a deep dive into what are patterns that I'm curious about, what are color palettes, colorways, how do I want my work to shift? And I'm so grateful for that time because I had a lot of answers, a lot of clarity, and I feel for the most part, I'm really comfortable um, creating my pieces now. And then if folks want to engage with them, buy them, that is wonderful too. Uh, I do, I'm kind of branching into different products as well, even beyond just chairs that folks can engage with my work in a bunch of different ways. But I I will take on client projects sort of on a case by case, uh, just because it's, it can be quite... um, Intense, you know, you're really invested. It's like interior design, you know, you're working with the project for, for months. You're with back and forth emails and phone calls. So I've been thinking about kind of how I want to expend my energy throughout the day and putting it into the furniture that then can go to, you know, a showroom or a store or a mm-hmm. museum. For me, that feels a bit more fulfilling because mm-hmm. um, I can just spend a lot more time with the piece and with the fabric. So I would say right now it's about, Ninety percent me working on my own stuff, and then ten percent is you know clients or even brand partnerships, which has been really good too, because I get to share the work on a different platform.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have so many questions, and I'm trying to like, be <laughs> like, how can I get them all in? Oh. <laughs> Bring them on. Bring them so, on. This is some so of fun. it's going to be. <laughs> Some of it's going to be like this is probably going to be kind of down in the weeds, but it's really like mm-hmm. you know what I'm curious about as I hear you talking about this. So one of them is like you started by like sourcing the furniture pieces, like you said from like Craigslist and and those types yeah. of places. Um, I mean, are you still sourcing like pre made stuff? Or are you also like like designing from scratch, like you know the full furniture piece? Yeah, it's
1: both. So I've, I love sourcing. It's, it's just in general. I love thrifting, going to mm-hmm. antique markets and fairs. So I was literally on the road, literally, I was mm-hmm. driving uh, the other evening picking up this beautiful chair and ottoman set from a woman off of Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And that's become a, a major sourcing hub for me, honestly. Facebook Marketplace has a ton of stuff, almost mm-hmm. too much for my heart because I, <laughs> I need to, you know, take a little, little distance. Yeah. But Minneapolis has so many great vintage, antique places. I can't wait for the summer when there's just more outdoor markets happening. Yeah. But a big portion of my work is sourcing. I like to get um, already, you know, things that already exist in the world because there's so many pieces that could go to landfills, that could yeah. just be put on the sidewalks. And I like to repurpose that, give it new life, keep it in the ecosystem so that it's not, you know, again, going to waste if it doesn't yeah. have to. There's something about salvaging and repurposing an older piece in a new, fresh way that that really excites me. It's kind of a challenge. I like to see how I can recreate it. Um, But then I do. I'm also working with a woodworker who actually works on the floor right below me in my studio to help build a couple of chairs that I've had in my sketchbook for years. Mm -hmm. And some of those chairs I was able to have created through my partnership with World Market, which was amazing. But there's a couple of pieces. I think just because of, you know, their size and the sort of mechanics, it makes more sense for me to do a one-off piece and, and work with a, a specialized sort of um, woodworker or carpenter mm-hmm. on that. And so that's my my dream someday is just to be able to have um, these really unique chairs from my sketchbook that I can produce with someone. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to build the relationship right now because again, that's super intimate too. Um, and then other products you know that are like napkin rings I've got a, a set of napkin rings that I want to create that are really sculptural and ornate because I love thinking about well I love dining for one I like to eat so <laughs> the, the the dining table is a is a you know, big gathering space for me and lots of people right yes yeah. so I want to create more uh, sort of products that are centered on the dining space and the napkin is just a fun detail it's like yeah. Something you almost wouldn't notice, but it helps just fill out that table. So I'm really interested in that. But yeah, people donate chairs to me. They'll message and say, hey, I've got a piece that's just been in my basement for 10 years. Would you like to have it? All of that stuff excites me. I rarely will say no to a piece of furniture um, <laughs> If I, you know, if I can help it, if I can get it in my car or borrow my boyfriend's car or whatever it is. We're going right. to
0: figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you like how do you know something like has good bones you know what I mean yeah. like because yeah. that's, sometimes some of like I mean I get <laughs> my wife doesn't let me go to the vintage places anymore because I just <laughs> buy <it>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like,
1: i like I want to buy good. all of off. the things
0: and then like I don't actually follow through with the rest of it but uh. <laughs> um, so you can just store it that's right <laughs> But, you know, when I see some of these things, like sometimes my problem is like, even as a woodworker, right? I can tell, Mm -hmm. usually I can tell like, okay, this is at least made from like real wood and it's not just like compressed, like fiberboard or whatever, but like the design aspect of being like, is this something that's just like been manufactured a thousand times over or is this something that's Mm. like a true like gem? Yeah,
1: that's like everything you said like that I just love because I'm I'm trying to do that assessment each time I find a piece it's like what about this you know Mm -hmm. why do I want to take this home with me and a lot of times it's the frame of or the sort of details and the ornate fixtures of the frame like I like a chair that has a unique frame that's not you know something that seems manufactured which is the irony you know me having a (laughs) collection that is manufactured right but it's like I, the chair that I got recently, is an antique, uh, slipper chair and it just has this beautiful curves and carved details, but I'm also like pushing on the wood when I, before I purchase it to see, okay, is it, are the dowels kind of loose? Does it seem like, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if there's really, once you start to strip a chair, that's when you can tell more about the value and if it's worth keeping. Because sometimes you can't tell that it's been, if there's water damage or if the wood is cracked or warped. Or if there's, you know, molds with the, the padding material um, and the padding and the fabric, all that is cosmetic. So if you ever encounter a chair and you're like, ooh, it just looks really old, you can get rid of that. It's, mm-hmm. it, that's a simple change out. So um, it's more about the frame. And to your point, you know, the real is kind of that, um, mm-hmm. what is that kind of wood? Like the cork? or Like the particle board? Particle know. board, yeah. yes. Yeah if it's heavier weight, if it's just heavier to lift, like that's quality t- to me right yeah. there. There was yeah. a, a tree, you know, that has yes. to <laughs> go through some things to become what this chair or this piece of furniture is. And so those kind of things help to, for me to assess the value, but also my time investment, you know, do I want to um give this chair a new life? If the springs are loose, if the, the bottom seems like it's sagging a little bit, again, those things can be lifted you can mm-hmm. reinforce the bottom you can replace any of the inside material but it's the wood that you really want to make sure and if it is loose if the chair is kind of like you know um uh I can't think of that word but if you can kind of rock it a little bit yeah. and I'm sure you you can attest to this but that is something you could take to like a woodworker and have yeah. them tighten and assess so um I always have the mind to like keep it but if it really is, you know, parts are missing, broken, cracked, right, right. warped, let it go. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know that chair has had a full life. I'm sure. <laughs> yes.
0: Now the other thing I'm curious about with sourcing is like the fabrics. I was as I watched some of your stuff you post on social media. I was curious, like, are you making your own prints or are you sourcing it all? I'm sourcing my
1: prints right now. So I'm okay. actually working with um, a company to make my own fabrics. So has also been a, not even not a long time dream, but just something I've become more curious about as I've been doing upholstery. Um, there's so many great swatches that have come through my studio. So I, I kind of felt like I didn't need to have my own yeah. fabrics just because there's something out there that I could absolutely find and love. But um, I feel like if I'm continually talking about stories Telling and creating unique designs with my furniture I want that to be a full circle story that involves me building the piece and you know the fabrics coming from um, a bit of my own history a bit of my personal story is in there and so I'm just trying to figure out I I gravitate toward geometric fabrics that is my my favorite I tried to break out of it but (laughs) it permeates so much of my work and just what I like to look at visually And so um, I'm just trying to make some sketches right now of some fabrics that kind of mimic that and different colorways too, that I want to see or hope to see people using a lot more in their their furniture work. I love green, it's my favorite color. And I want to have more creative types of green that are outside of like leaf prints or more foliage types of things, which I love and again are beautiful and I use all the time. But it's a challenge for me too, just to push and create a new visual in the world because i'm like if i'm going to make something that already exists you know people already can have access to i want to inject a different um sort of aesthetic in that yeah. that isn't it out in the world yet
0: yeah i am um, um... I, I know I told you, like, you know, outside of this conversation that I got into grad school. And yeah, yes. congratulations. <laughs> it's an M- Thank you. It's an MFA <laughs> program, you know, around like furniture design and 3D design. Mm-hmm. That's like the main focus. But then like as part of the program, you're taking something that's almost like you're building basically like a minor um, okay. into that. And so like I've been doing a lot of thinking around that. And I think I'm going to struggle because originally I thought Graphic design is what I'm actually going to try to do because yeah. graphic designers are expensive. And I need, okay. you know what I mean? Like I need that Say work that. for my business. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you I are thinking, not lying. No, so I was thinking about that. But, but then I also remember like during my tour there, she mentioned that a lot of people who do the 3D design program kind of do the minor in printmaking because they end up printing making their own prints for their own like upholstery oh, work and that's yeah. just like really kind of been rolling around more and more in my head of like that could be really fun like to huge. be able to bring that in you know huge yeah and like just a different you know um
1: avenues where that it, can go like exactly. the print making clearly isn't just for furniture but there's draping there's mm-hmm. collaborations with brands you know there's clothing there's just a I mean, even um, flatware, you know, there's so many ways to incorporate printmaking. That's what I think is so fun and fascinating about it to me. It's the designs are awesome, but just the multiple usages, Mm -hmm. um, I'll say towels, yeah, towels, rugs. I I love pattern. At one point, I tried to convince myself that I was a minimalist and I was like, you are lying. You are nuts. That's (laughs) not your ministry. And I just love print. I love big bold prints and mixing as many of them as I can.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: so I, I'm super excited about you know this possibility this minor for you. Yeah and if you decide to go down that
0: you know what <laughs> avenues will open up let me know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I mean that does lead me like to the other line of questions that were kind of rolling around my head for you were things like like a little bit of the nuts and bolts of like how how did you get with like world market? How do you get like in with brands to like drive this into more of a line? And, you know, because Mm -hmm. I would say as like artists, as maker people, like we have to find, like have several avenues of revenue, right? It's like, you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, Otherwise you can't support yourself. So it's like, I definitely have my sights on, like, eventually I want to have my own line as well as, like, creating my, like, unique one-of-a-kind pieces. And so it's like, how do you, how did you do that? How did you come about that relationship?
1: Yeah, and I want to give as many details as I can. So if if you find that I'm getting long-winded or you want to bring things down, let me know. Just stop me. I can can chat. So it was uh, June of 2020 when World Market had emailed me, and I was in my studio working on a chair, and I got an email. Um, from one of the buyers who was asking, you know, have I ever considered a collection of furniture and fabrics? And like I think I dropped my phone because that's <laughs> like a surreal email to get and one that at that yeah. point I didn't expect to get for several years. So I had right. only been working full time for three years at that point. And I think part of it, I'm hoping the majority of it came because they had seen my work, you know, just out in the world or someone had shared it. And they were like, oh my gosh, we love her style. We want that to be part of us. But I think a small part of it um, is also around that time, you know, there was the uh, George Floyd death mm-hmm. where a lot of um, companies were, and I don't know how it happened, but they were then completing, you know, let's support black yeah. businesses and black creative businesses. And so there was a wave of new followers and, and eyeballs really, and mm-hmm. world market could have you know, stemmed from that. But um, I wrote them back and said, absolutely, you know, Wayne, right. you <laughs> want to set up a chat, you know, let's, yeah. let's go. <laughs> And they were so upfront about it, you know, saying we recognize that within our collection of at least furniture, there's a dearth of prints and and bold designs and patterns. And we love that that's the space you're in. We want to put that, you know, um, on the furniture. And we want you to design the pieces that you've always kind of had. So it was an invitation to create new stuff, but also reimagine some of their own pieces with my my fabrics. And we, it was a, a tedious process like honestly we're still very much um you know doing back and forth emails but the conversation started with terms and a contract Mm -hmm. and I had never worked with a licensing you know licensing at all so I reached out to a friend Justina Blakeney who you know queen of print patterns oh my god I love (laughs) Justina She is like (laughs) the truth, okay? That's amazing. (laughs) I love her dearly. And I'm so grateful that she, you know, answered my message. And when I asked her if I could just kind of chat for a bit to get some feedback. And she gave me lots of great insight about specific language to have on her contract. Mm -hmm. Negotiating royalties. Negotiating royalties for um, retail versus wholesale. You know, what to get for your your upfront rate. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking in my sort of naivete, I was like, oh, okay. I will propose a rate, you know, for me creating these sketches and working with them. And then, um, you know, that rate has to be like the highest one right there. And I was like, no, honey, the money is in the royalties. okay? Mm -hmm. so I'm so grateful. My friends, my best friend's sister is a lawyer and she graciously looked over. She combed through my contract like with a fine tooth comb and threw out so many terms, added new stuff and really advocated for me based on what I wanted to happen for myself. Um, And she, a big part, a big thing she did was negotiating like liability in case, you know, something happens while this furniture is in someone's possession, which is something I didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Who owns things? Because the original contract was that uh, world market would own it all. And she was like, no, they can own this specific fabric on this specific chair. But they don't own your sketches. They don't own, you know, the design of your work. And that, you know, can open up possibilities for me down the road if I decide to use that same furniture style, but with different Mm -hmm. fabrics. And so, and that was something that Justina also pushed and allocated for, or advocated for, was to own everything. You know, it's your name, it's your brand. Um, I worked for the first time with a lawyer to get a trademark on Mm -hmm. both my name as it pertains to appearances and where it was TV and branding, but also as a service um per- providing a service and a product because that adds so much protection right there yeah. and also increases your value when you're trying to negotiate hopefully future contracts for licensing. Um and so we also negotiated higher royalties as well because the brand is not going to tell you initially how many SKUs they're going to buy, how many pieces of furniture are going to be sold. But you will find that out when they send you an email and say, hey, you know, here's the royalty based on, you know, we bought all the furniture. This is what we've assessed the value of what we're selling it at. And that to me was like super eye opener right there. I was like, oh, my sketches, Um, to be quite transparent with your, Mm -hmm. your listeners about numbers, if I can. So they paid me 10000 for my sketches. But okay. the royalties were like, you know, 50 times that. Because yeah. those pieces are going to every store across the country. And they are going to make a large chunk, hopefully, you know, from yeah. those sales. Yeah. And so the more you can negotiate your
0: royalties, just the better position for you. And you um, still owned that. Like you said, mm-hmm. you still owned the sketches and stuff like that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I, when I sent them the sketches, I also... Um, this was at the request of my lawyer I dated them and I signed them and I scanned them so that there was never going to be an argument about who made these sketches down the road yeah and so all those kinds of protections I'm so grateful for because you know you do get caught up in that shiny object like the excitement is amazing and you want to make sure that you're playing nice or whatever yeah but at the end of the day you know that's what gets a lot of creatives caught up too is the lack of protecting your ip as much as you can yep. and uh, there's throughout this process because um, again it's been about two and a half years there's been a lot of advocating and saying and pushing back too. as much as i'm excited about the progress there's also the the note of like no i i don't want this or this timeline doesn't work or that color palette doesn't work for me or i would like to have another design option to offer people mm-hmm. because at the end of the day it's your name That's on it. No one is going to see the buyer behind the (laughs) scenes. They're going to see, you know, it's Nicole Crowder upholstery on the shelf or and so that muscle for me was also strengthened over this period of time because now I'm like, okay, I can go to another brand, even if I pitch to them or if they reach out to me and know this is a vision that I carry and that I can also advocate for myself and not feel like, you know, I'm um pissing anybody off or I'm looking like the bad person. It's your name, it's your style, it's your vision at the end of the day. And that's super, super valuable. It's invaluable.
0: And they take care of, they were taking care of all of the, was there any negotiation around like them taking care of all the manufacturing of everything? Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag would her on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also, great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout if you enter the code MAKERMOM, mom you will get a 20 percent discount off any of the merchandise that you buy so that's just toolmomstore.com all right let's head back into the action so yeah they took care of all
1: the manufacturing literally i had to just provide sketches and then they had a timeline for um who they were working with The um, shipping, of course, was, there was a lot of delays with COVID and with um, cargo, but the area where we did sort of, um, where I did have to advocate most was around the promotion and social media, because in the, in the contract, um, I didn't specify, and I should have specified this, a breakdown of, okay, you all are pitching to X, Y, there's going to be a photo shoot. There's going to be these different tiers for promoting the work. And they had reached out to me about obtaining a headshot because they were going to start to pitch to um, press. And I was like, okay, wonderful. I had happened to have a photographer here in Minneapolis um, take some new headshots of me because I had just moved here, just moved into my studio. And I was like, I'm looking cute today. Let's get some (laughs) shots taken. And so I sent them one of those photos just to send internally, you know, for press pitches. But unbeknownst to me, they had planned to use that photo for the whole promotion, you know, Um... put in store. And I was like, well, let's, let's take a pause because I pay the photographer a personal rate to do this. Right. You all are asking for commercial rights now because that's mm-hmm. where this falls into. And this is where my photo editor background kicks in because dealing with contracts and editorial versus commercial rights all the time. Right. And I said, also, you know, why would you not have a photo shoot for this collection mm-hmm. that you have put so much time and resources into? And that's when I got on the phone with one of the... Um, the VP of marketing, and she was saying, they hadn't planned to do a photo shoot. And when I started to say, okay, this, to me feels frustrating, just because this is a, um, this is the first time that you all are working with a black designer. And, yeah. you know, I feel a bit like the work will get buried, if it is not promoted, you know, in a reasonable yeah. sort of way. And also, if you don't have budget for a photo shoot, you know, you're not going to just not pay a photographer to have their work be featured in your store to sell your product there's a whole gap right there that i want to make sure we're (laughs) on the same page about and the next day i got an email and say we're going to do a photo shoot we're going to fly you out to oakland and so that's how even the the promotional photos for the collection came about is just sometimes you have to push back it might seem like a very obvious thing like why would you not have photos of this collection but Brands are doing a ton of things right now. And mm-hmm. if it's your vision, if, it, if you know this is like you're serious about the quality of work you want out in the world, there's no voice that can quiet that. And so this was all me just speaking up for myself. I don't have a manager, I don't have a publicist,
0: I just have an attorney and myself. And well, so- and it's really, I mean, it's great that you have like that background knowledge too. Mm-hmm. Um like I didn't have that background knowledge about photography myself and I Mm-hmm. Came into a situation where it was like, I was writing an article for like, you know, a national magazine and they... Mm-hmm. We're paying me a good amount, if it just for writing it, um, and yeah. they wanted, you know, lots of pictures included, and so it's, like, I just happened to have a photographer friend who's amazing, mm-hmm. and because I wanted to put, like, my best foot forward on, you know, this was my first publication, I was, like, you know, will you help me out, and I'll pay you to, like, you know, do these pictures, yeah. and he did, <clears throat> you know, and then he, like, started talking to me, and he's, like, because it, it turned out I ended up, one of his photos they're like these are amazing we're going to use it for the the cover of the magazine which was you know mm. again at first it was like ooh shiny object like this is amazing right But then I had known enough from the conversation with him about basically like, look, they're getting free pictures out of you. And this is like, you know, this is crazy. And you know, he's like, I did my work. I dove into the publication and he's like, they have the money, Um, you know? And so he was like, no. And having that conversation with him allowed me to then advocate with the editor. Like, this is really great, however, I'm going to mm-hmm. negotiate a separate fee for the cover photo alone. Uh, That's right. You need to pay this photographer because this is completely different than what we had negotiated before. That contract, is right. You know? Oh, I'm
1: so, I'm so happy you did that because even working on the, the photo editor side it is very common, you know, where if you can get a free image, wonderful, you know, if it's high quality resolution, like we will take it and not pay anything. right? But there is a great difference between like a a feature spot photo and then a cover photo. Yes. And even, you know, with a small publication, you know, it's like a minimum of $5,000, you know, for that, for a a cover, you know, because you're helping to sell their their product, basically, it might be free promo for you, but you know the photographer the stylist whoever right they're putting up their service as well so yeah i'm Um, I'm really sensitive to those things too just in in general you know whether it's like giving credit to people online or or whatever it is like that part of my brain comes to the (laughs) forefront
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i think like that alone is is a skill that i i i don't think a lot of um like i I think there's benefit for a lot of content creators to understand some of that, like, right from the start. Like, I'm one who definitely yeah. fell into, like, not understanding that, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. at the get-go, because that was just not my world. It's like, well, I'm just putting yeah. out this stuff. Um, yeah. Understanding is like, no, you need to give credit to, like, everybody involved. Um, yeah, and
1: it's understandable. Well, it's like, it's common, I think, that to happen, especially with you have so many social platforms and sites like tumblr you know years ago that was a a hot spot for photos and imagery mm-hmm. just being shared without credit to the original creator um and instagram you know falls into that space too so yeah it's uh yeah it's like we all have a part in that if i see some of your is out here i'm like
0: okay tag <laughs> my girl like yeah <laughs> you know making sure that it comes right back to you yeah 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 So you, you said something in talking about that whole, the, like, you know, kicking off kind of that campaign with them about Mm -hmm. being the first black designer. Yeah, the first, not the
1: first to work with them, but to do their furniture, because they've worked with um, Jen Hewitt, who I love, and Mm -hmm. she's got amazing pattern designs, Um, and she did a bunch of, I think it was napkins and stuff, but in terms of their, their furniture, First, and I hadn't I didn't know that until I was starting to dig in and do the research, but because they work with people from all around the world, right? But there's so many companies that, um, and this was a statistic that came out, I think it was in 2020, maybe it was 2019. But the of all the furniture companies in the world, like less than one percent feature or have work by black designers, and you know, that that's also why I was pushing so heavily for my photo to be there it's less an yeah. ego thing of like I need you all to know that my work is great but it's like no if you are I'm, you need to know that a black woman her mm-hmm. face is the one that created these pieces and if you're a brand who is trying to um not atone but acknowledge you know that you have had a dearth of working with black women or people of color in general I don't want you to hide our faces like that, and I had this critique of um, publications. Who again? This is about June and July of 2020, where there was tons and tons of listicles of you know 10 black designers to follow, 20 people shifting the culture. Um, what's great about that is yes, there is some uh, acknowledgement, but it's a different kind of visibility than when you give someone like a whole page. Yeah. or a section, a story. Yeah. It's not just part of a list. It's like they have space to tell their story and to, tell, and to share images of their work. That's how you get a robust um, picture of someone and make a connection to them. Yeah. When I think of, of the designers or creatives or people in general who I've admired from afar because I've seen and I read their story, I've had time to sit with their story, whether it was in print or digital, I want that same latitude to be given to um, designers of color. And it was really important for me to push that point with world market and, and to be quite frank, you know, to shame them a little bit and say, are you all comfortable with this? Because I can see this. And it's a, it's a tricky space, right? Because you don't want to call out a brand, especially one you're working with. But I feel like sometimes you have to call a thing a thing and hold people accountable because that's how, you know, actions change a right. lot of times.
0: Now, <clears throat> to I mean, I, th- I think with 2020 and, you know, the murder of, of George Floyd, like, I, and I've said this on the podcast with other guests, like, it makes me sad that the world was not giving you all <laughs> the credit that you deserved before that. Like, that makes me extremely sad that that, it took the murder of somebody and for us to Mm -hmm. to not be able to look away for that to be Mm -hmm. um righted some and and then um does it continue like you got a whole influx of like eyeballs like you said and a lot of the you know black makers um that i'm like friends with same thing like Mm -hmm. they got a lot of attention on social media um which I was happy for, because they deserved it all along. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it's like now it feels like, okay, we did our, our work, we're done. Like, we don't, <laughs> like yeah. we don't need to keep pushing this, you know. So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you feel that? And like with people with like world market, do you feel like they're continuing to push themselves to have better representation?
1: I think some brands are for sure. I feel like they have been, um, whether they were called out kind of publicly or some brands were doing that work, you know, and they're like, we're just still trying to stay in that lane yeah. um, and, and show that this isn't just for as a trend sort of thing. Yeah. And for me, to be honest, I, I feel really grateful because I, I haven't felt like I've been, um, you know, looked over or any opportunities have been skirted lots of partnerships have continually reached out and given me you know more space to amplify my work and to even ask like how would you like to engage with us versus saying this is what we want you to do which i feel like is i feel really fortunate for that Mm -hmm. so i think there was a, a shift you know at least for me personally with 2020 um in part the brands reaching out to me but also me advocating for myself there was just an email i sent um yesterday actually a brand had um offered you know me to be part of a series or to host a series and the rate that they provided was was low for what I would um yeah. typically want and i was just like we're going to go ahead and push back a little bit see if there's some flexibility there to you know increase that and they wrote back to me and said yes we can accommodate that and i i feel like in part it is brands knowing artists have it, they've given themselves permission to have a larger voice mm-hmm. and to say, I'm willing to pass up on an opportunity if it means that you know we're not aligned in our intentions of working together. It's less about the artists needing the brand yeah um, and more about the brands really needing these artists you know needing creatives because we are what helps to promote your work. You know, we are what helps to give your platform its, its voice, its kind of flavor. Yeah. And why would you not want to work with people and meet them, you know, in an even playing field and to see people? Like, I want everyone to be amplified and work, you know, if you're white, black, brown, like I want it to be your work that is giving you um, that visibility. And where a brand recognizes that and says, okay, you assess your, your work as having this value. We're going to meet you there. Because we we um, respect you that much. It's that's that's how I feel. I I hope um, for the brands that are kind of newly coming to the realization yeah. that like creatives of color are out there, but they are really doing the internal work of saying, okay, how do we make this uh, part of the tapestry of our, our work culture, of our ethos? And it's not something where we're just spurting out, you know, a few people yeah. of color on our instagram page every couple of weeks but like integrate that and if it takes yeah. time that's okay because to me that shows more genuine effort mm-hmm. versus like this quarter we're focusing on you know the blacks yeah so um <laughs> or it's like <laughs> you know oh, that's it's
0: february like- so we need to get like <laughs> exactly <laughs> or or And I was
1: so grateful, let me tell you, that no one had reached out in February to do anything. I was like, I can rest. You know, that's also just as important to, like, not overwork the creatives. We, you know, these sort of arbitrary timelines of deliverables. I was like, do you know we are still in a pandemic? Right. Like, (laughs) why do you need this within a week? Mm -hmm. What's the urgency? Shao? it's digital. You're you're, you're fine.
0: (laughs) So, Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Do, do you feel like um, um, peers in your space uh, have been good about stepping up in in advocating for um, artists of color, like within the kind of furniture and upholstery world? Absolutely! Like that's one of the
1: amazing things I think about being in this space, and I don't know if it's just furniture and upholstery uh, specifically, but there's so many amazing women who are also upholsterers and we just champion one another, but even, you know, people who are not women, yeah. um, share our work, uh, tag us in stories and in, in posts. If someone, if there's a, a platform that's like, Hey, you know, tag your favorite small businesses or yeah. black business or whatever. They're always like tagging, you know, me, my, um, great friends, uh, just other people who are out here doing that that work in whatever industry it is, whether it's furniture, yeah. fashion, photography. I feel like there's been, um, there's just been this sort of shift of people's language in like, I want to create, but I also want to rest. You yeah. know, I, I don't want to just produce content all the time. Um, we can do it and we enjoy doing it, but there's also that balance of like, but I don't have to do it for the clicks, for the likes, for the shares, for the hope that a brand sees me. Um, but I'm very much of the mind, like, when you're doing great work, it's going to be amplified. I don't have a single publicist. I was very, I'm kind of awful, honestly, at selling myself. Um, I put it out on Instagram because I enjoy it, you know, I'm a visual girl. And that, it gets shared by other people and somehow finds its way to, you know, a person who is in charge of paying me. That is, that's wonderful. But I think it definitely comes because people are supporting one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like you can ask people to do that as well. Some folks were a little shy. I have some friends for sure who have fantastic businesses, but are really, really hesitant to promote themselves or to ask other people to promote it. And I feel like when people genuinely want to, they will, they will do that if you ask or not. I don't think it's a, Sometimes our ego, you know, kind of prevents. Well, it's about, it's like
0: that. Um, it's like that TikTok, clip, right? Of like, why am I not famous yet? Because you haven't shared my shit. Like, hello, <laughs> <you know>? hello. <laughs> it's just like, and you know, your friends can support you in that yeah. way too. It,
1: it yeah. doesn't even have to be a purchase. It's literally exactly. just like a reshare on the stories. It'll be gone in twenty four hours. You know. Yeah. But my grandmother used to always say, like, it never costs you a thing to be kind to someone. You know, mm-hmm. it never costs you a thing to. Um, encourage someone either uh, and I feel like especially with just so many of us out here you know, creating content creating products there's there's a lot um, to to take in visually uh, I try to find that balance of like what I'm promoting to sell and what I'm just sharing because I realize you know some people engage with Instagram and I use Instagram because that's the primary platform that I use yeah. to, to share my work Um, But it's felt like a marketplace to some people where everyone is trying to sell you something. And I try to make it a space where that's not the case. I just want you to come and engage, you know, see something beautiful, look at a pattern, you know, in a way that you might not have before. And, you know, if you would like to engage the work, that's that invitation is there, too. But ultimately, it's up to me to figure out how I'm going to sustain my livelihood and make sure that I'm able to pay my bills and stuff. because it's a lot of pressure and, and I don't think it's fair pressure to put on people who are also operating in this, you know, capitalist society to be like, buy this stuff, share everything, support (laughs) me, you know, it's, that's why, and you said this earlier, having your hands in many different pots is really, really important. Yeah. A lot of do working, you know, past, you know, up to a certain point, like I, I enjoy working because I do, but I also don't want to have to. Um, you know overwork my body just to pay right. my bills. Yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. I mean like is physical work for sure. Super oh. physical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I make massages
1: part of my healthcare plan. Let me tell you. Every week I'm just like, yes, <laughs> this is what I
0: need because it's part of my work. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to start mm-hmm. doing that. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Part of my, like get, <laughs> get on it.
1: It changes the game. Because the first time I went in there, the massage therapist was like, oh, are you in? construction like your back feels like a rock yeah (laughs) meanwhile i'm just going along to go along you know bending and stretching. so yeah
0: those those breaks are are crucial Mm -hmm. um well we're at getting close to the end of our time together so i want to make sure i know it went fast (laughs) (laughs) fast. i want to make sure that um i give you a chance to let uh, you tell the people like how they can find your work, where to go find your work, all the good stuff.
1: Yeah, well, I so appreciate your listeners for for listening to this episode. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. And you all can, can check me out on Instagram at Nicole M, Amazon Marie Crowder. And I just literally last week got on the TikTok, but it is mostly the same video from Instagram on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I'm there at Nicole Crowder as well. Uh, and then my website is Nicole Crowder, upholstery.com where- I'm selling meditation pillows and puzzles that I've made, but also some new works that I'm going to be putting up there shortly. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your uh, time this morning or afternoon. Oh, thank
1: you for having me. This, <laughs> yeah. this was wonderful. Like, honestly, I, I haven't had a chance to engage with a fellow creative in
0: this way and really get into the minutia of the work. So this was a treat for me. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, so again, that was Nicole Crowder, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her and see her work in the show notes for today's episode. The best places to find that is check the description on your podcast app for the episode. If you're watching this on the Freeman Furnishings YouTube channel, check the description box down below, or head on over to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast, and you can find the show notes for today's episode as well as all the previous episodes. Make sure to follow along with the podcast at Crafting a Revolution over on Instagram. And that is where you can best find resources or ways to support the podcast. The link in the bio, again, at Crafting a Revolution on Instagram will take you a couple of places. It will take you over to Patreon to, if you want to do an ongoing monthly support. Or uh, it will also have an option there to do a one-time donation so again at crafting revolution on instagram if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support it but not in a monetary way that is also welcomed just please share about the podcast on instagram at crafting revolution make sure to always tag it so that we see it and uh, also you can head on over to itunes and spotify especially make sure you hit subscribe like and leave a review you might want to reach out to your host of the podcast. My name again is Katie Freeman and you can find me on Instagram at Freeman Furnishings where you'll find me power carving, um, general woodworking, and uh, an occasional resin project like I'm working on right now along with uh, some shop dances thrown in just to keep it just to keep it spicy. So you can find me again over there at Freeman Furnishings. You can find my co-host Katie Thompson in a couple of places on Instagram. Maybe her main one being uh, Women of Woodworking. That is a passion project of hers that has been going on for years now, where she highlights um, other women in the field of woodworking. And then a more recent endeavor of hers, Pen and Chisel, which is a monthly online journal. So you can also check that out as well so this is the last episode for this week and next week we will be back with one brand new episode and in the meantime as always let's go craft a revolution the is the constant evolution of-